Hi, this is Pastor Paul Jay Chandran. Welcome to Life Church Castle Hill podcast. I pray that the Lord will speak to you through the Word of God. We believe that when we open the pages of Scripture, we not only get a message from the Word of God, but we also encounter the God of the Word. May you encounter the God of the Word and may your life be transformed from the inside out. God bless you. Enjoy this message. Praise God. <clears throat> Billy and Willie were at Sunday school studying about Noah's Ark. On the way home, Willie asked Billy, Do you think Noah did much fishing? How could he? said Billy. He only had two worms. That didn't work. I didn't say it correctly. Always an excuse. All right. Another one. The one fails, there's always another one. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were on a camping trip. They set up their tent and then they fell asleep. Some hours later, Holmes wakes up his faithful friend. Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Watson replies, I see millions of stars. What does that tell you? Watson ponders for a minute and then he says, Astronomically speaking, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, it tells me that Saturn is in Leo. Time-wise, it appears to be approximately quarter past three. Theologically, it is evident that the Lord is all-powerful and we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, it seems we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you? Holmes in silence for a moment then speaks, Watson, you idiot, someone has stolen our tent. So if you were camping at night and you went into a tent and then if you wake up and you can see the stars, something is missing. Now I want you to pay attention to what I'm going to say next. Whenever you read the Bible, it is exactly like the illustration I just shared with you. There are two things you have to pay attention every time you read a text. One, you want to see God's big picture. Say this with me, the big picture. That means you need to see the stars in the sky and interpret the big plan, the purpose and the revelation of what God is doing in the lives of his people. So seeing God's big picture. At the same time, you should also learn to see the big God picture. Let me say that again. You got to learn to see the big God in the picture. In other words, in every text, it also communicates not only what God is doing in the lives of his people, but it also reveals something about God. So there are two things that you have to learn to see. One is the wide and the bigger perspective of what God is doing. In other words, what God is dealing in the lives of his people so we can learn apply truth into our lives, learn principles. 
but the other one is about seeing the big god as he is revealed in the picture and that will give you the theology can you say amen so these two things have to be in focus whenever we open the scriptures that's why we say in this house we don't just read the word of god we encounter the god of the word can you say amen we open the scriptures not only to read a message because bible is not only a book of messages it is not just to read a message but bible is a book of meetings so whenever we open up the scripture we encounter god we meet with the god of the word and as a result of that meeting with god our life changes message will give you information for your mind but only an encounter with god will give you transformation of your life can you say amen it is not just to fill more of your head knowledge but it to is to transform your heart and nothing changes until our heart truly changes nothing changes until our world view changes until the value system changes until what we believe changes it is very important many churches sadly all over the world discipleship has become about going to a class and getting your head filled with knowledge but that's not what is important we cannot bring down the disciple making to just transference of knowledge we have to bring the disciple making to where life is changed as a result of what people know are you with me so far so that's why we value the testimonies that comes now he has spoken for more than 30 minutes i know that uh, zing did a sing did a very beautiful editing work can we appreciate you stand stand he is single and available that is free advertisement malachi chapter 3 we're going to go today malachi chapter 3 is a text that many people have heard numerous sermons in Malachi chapter 3 is a text that many preachers preach when they want to preach on tithing. But today I want to take you to the theology of chapter 3 so that you understand the fundamental things that God is trying to communicate to us through this chapter. I want you to go with me to Malachi chapter 3 and from verse 6 all the way to verse 18. That's going to be the text for today. And I want us to capture the two things seeing God's big picture as well as seeing the big God in the picture. Let's do it. The Bible says for I the Lord do not change. Can we read it together? It would be great. 3 2 1. I the Lord do not change. Therefore you Pay attention to these words. Keep to the same pace as I go. Uh, I the Lord do not change. What is it? He's an unchanging God. Say this with me. Unchanging Our God is an unchanging God. Right there is a theology. Our God is an unchanging God. Then he says, "O children of Jacob." You got to ask yourself the question, why is it Jacob not Israel? Up to now God has been speaking to the children of Israel, but why all of a sudden Jacob? Jacob represents a backslidden people. Israel is someone who is in the covenant, hot for God, not lukewarm, hot. But someone who has been withdrawn, backslidden, going back to their own ways god says jacob 
the deceiver. Oh, children of Jacob are not consumed. God says, you are not consumed. You know why? Because I'm unchanging. Not because you're faithful, but because I'm faithful to what I have promised. And when God promises something, it is called covenant. Say covenant. Covenant means the promise of God. And here God says, I am faithful to keep my covenant, even if you are unfaithful. That's why you are still in existence. Even today, Israel exists. Why? Not because Israel is faithful to God, because God is faithful to his covenant. Can you say amen? amen. One of the key things we got to understand, that's a theology, establish that. Next, let's, let's go to next verse. From the days of your fathers, let's read. You have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord. Look at what God says. The people of Israel or the children of Jacob, they know the statutes of God, but they are not keeping them. That's why I said knowledge doesn't mean that you will do it. It is all about the application. It is about life change. It is about change of values, beliefs, and worldview. And the Bible says, your fathers know my statutes, but they have not kept them. Keeping them is the question. And then God invites them to come. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? So in answer to this question, how can we return back to God? A backslidden person, how can they return back to God? God then says to them something very specific. One way you should come back to me. Look at this in verse 8. Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. How are you robbing God? In your tithe. What is a tithe, by the way? Tithe is a Hebrew word for one-tenth of our income. Everything that we have, one-tenth. The tenth of whatever. So if you have ten animals, nine, the tenth one belongs to God. That one belongs to God. In other words, God says that, that you are you're robbing me with a curse in the, in the area of your tithe. Then he goes, you are cursed with a curse. See, he didn't say, I'll curse you. He actually says, the moment you start robbing me, you're already cursed. You're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Look at the language that the Bible uses. Circle the word return to me and circle the word bring. In other words, God was not saying, think about it. God says, bring, return, bring. In other words, it's like an owner asking for his stuff back. It's not about someone who is trying to borrow something that they doesn't belong to them. It is, it is like an owner asking for his stuff. He says, bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing for you until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer. You know, this is the only time the Bible says in the context of tithing, God, God says actually, I will rebuke the devourer. In the New Testament, it says you resist the devil. But in the Old Testament, God says in this one instance, when you obey me in the tithe, I personally will rebuke the devourer, right? In other words, God becomes the one who rebukes the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your wine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, your harvest will be plentiful, rain will come, harvest will come, and also, also your wine will not drop 
prematurely. It will still remain in the tree. In other words, God was saying to an agricultural nation that my blessing will continue in your land. Then, then all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now, in the context of return to me, God says about tithe. And then he moves on. Come on, I want you to look at beyond that. Then he says, your words have been hard against me. How have we spoken against you? See, God says, your words have been hard against me. How have we spoken against you? The people ask. So what God says, you have said. Circle the three things you have said. In other words, God notices what you say. People, I want you to pay attention to this. It may not be coming through your lips. But God knows what goes on in your heart. Is that right? It is a conversation that has within your heart. There is a, there is a signal that both Isa and I, we do sometimes when, when, when compliments come uh, my way. And it's, it does time to time. My wife always does this. She does this. And, I, uh, and it is a, it's, a, it's a sign for both of us. What is that? It is to say, hey, make sure you're inside your heart you know who to give glory to you know don't think too highly of yourself you know it's like it's like calm down calm down you know don't 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 go, don't get too excited you know one of the signs of maturity is these three things this is bonus coming out take it signs of maturity is these three things how you handle crisis how you handle compliments how you handle criticisms these three things if your emotions go high and low and high and low every time you encounter crisis you're immature in every step of the way, you need to stay stable. That is maturity. Compliments come, you know who to direct to. Criticism comes, you know how to turn it around and give it to who to give it to. It's very important that we learn that. So this is, this is important. Do this with me, come on. This morning. Ah, that's it, that's it. So anytime, anytime you feel like there is a conversation going on inside of you, you got to learn to stop it and say, hey, what's happening? See here the Bible says, you have said, circle that you have said, it is vain to serve God. Notice the language of what the people are saying. What kind of people will say to God, it is vain. That word vain there means worthless. It is worthless to serve God. And then they go on to say, what is the profit? Circle the word profit of our keeping his charge. So in the context of tithing, in the context of giving offerings to God, in the, in the context of honoring God with everything they have, people say, what is the point? It is worthless to serve him. It is no profit for me whether I keep his charge or walk in it or without walking in it. It doesn't matter. Why? And then verse 15, they say, we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Here is the, here's the catch. Why are the people saying, it is vain to worship God. It is vain to serve God. It is vain to, it is not profitable to keep his charges. Why? Because we see people who do evil prosper anyway. They don't fear God, yet they are prospering. They don't obey God, yet they are prospering. They don't, they don't, give tithe but yet they are doing well the the, the 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 material possessions come to these people who are evil doers so what's the point when you learn to see things like this i want you to pay attention ask yourself what perspective are you looking at you're looking at it from a temporal point 
You're looking at a temporal point where you say, wow, what's the point? These people are not obeying God. They're not giving. They're not serving. They're not doing anything. In fact, their life is so good. You only have to go to their Facebook and look at the photos. There's evidence. They don't tithe. They don't serve God. They don't make church a priority. They don't make life groups a priority. But look at their life. It's so exciting. They go here on honeymoon. They go there on holiday. They go here everywhere. They're flying. They're eating. They travel two hours to eat. They do all these things. Look at their life. It's so fascinating. But the Bible calls them evildoers. And yet they prosper. So here is a group of people who are in a dilemma. People of God are in a dilemma. What's the point of serving God? When people who doesn't serve God are prospering. What's the point of what is the profit in keeping tithe and giving away my money to the Lord? What's the point when nothing has come my way, but the others are enjoying life. So they test God and they escape. The Lord was listening to these things. Then look at verse 16. Come on. Then the Bible says, those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. See now. God is listening not only to the conversation of the wicked evildoer, the one who doesn't fear God. He's also listening to the conversation of people who fear him. In other words, God listens, people listen. God is a silent listener. Isn't that right? In every conversation, whether it is going on within the two years, whether it's going on in your mind, in your heart, or with your spouse in the, in the silent of night, when you think your kids are not hearing, when you think nobody's listening, The Lord is right there with you, listening, paying attention to everything. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Not only was the Lord a silent listener, the Lord was also scribing. He had a scribe to write down everything that you and I were saying. In other words, he recorded it for remembrance. Why does God have to record those things? Is it for him to remember? No, for you to know one day what you are saying. One day you and I will stand and the Bible says in the New Testament, we give an account for every single vain word we spoke. We do. You may think, but I know of a person who spoke a lot of things and his life is always fine. Hang on, you're looking at a temporal life. You don't know what goes on in behind the scenes. And what God has planned. But the reality is because we are so temporal in our, in our worldview, temporal in our life, in the view, way we look at life, we don't heed to this warning. The Bible says he's a scribe. He, he writes down he, everything that you are saying, God says it's recorded. Not only that, not only that, then he says, was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. God writes down those things that people who fear him say. You know what the people who fear him say? Those things. Even if it doesn't profit me temporally, I still want to serve God. Even though there may not be any material possessions or gains that come my way in my temporal life, I still serve God. Why? Because that's what he called me to do. Are you with me? It is about doing the will of God. And those who are hearing, those who are fearing God and they say it, God says, I record it down. Because they fear my name. And then look at this, verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day. Circle the word, in the day. There is going to be a day that comes. Now, next week when you come, I will show you what that day is. There is a day that comes, and in that day, the Savior will come as a judge. 
And in that day, when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Who spares. So there's a day of reckoning that comes. Then verse 18 says, Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. The title of today's message, write this down, You shall see the distinction. You shall see the distinction. That comes straight from this verse, verse 18. Let's read verse 18 again. The Bible says, Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked the one who serves god and the one who does not serve him so what is the burden this morning that i want to communicate chapter three is not about just getting more money from you to build the kingdom of god chapter three is a theology that says your god is unchanging he is true to you and he wants you to come back to him are you with me so far he says, come back to me, return to me. And the first declaration that God does in verse 6 is this. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, not Israel, are not consumed. I, the Lord, do not change. You know, one of the key things, I want you to imagine this. God hears everything you and I talk about. God knows every detail of our lives. And yet the Bible says he's committed to you. And he is unchanging. You know, a wealthy man who became quite old, old wealthy man who lost his sense of hearing. He went to the doctor without his family's knowledge. And the, and the doctor said, I have this new hearing aid that will help you. And he says, okay. And he, he implanted it into his ear. So now this old wealthy man can hear everything. But he didn't tell his family. He just came back. He can't hear a single thing. That's what the family thinks. He comes in and he just goes on with life. The next time he goes to meet the doctor, the doctor asks, your family must be very thrilled now that you can hear. He said, no, 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 no. I didn't tell them. Why? Oh, you don't know my family. They don't know that I can hear everything. Now that I hear everything, I've changed my will three times already. In other words, when you hear it, it affects you. But the Bible says, even though God hears everything, He still says, I am in love with you. That's why He begins the Malachi chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, I have loved you, says the Lord. In other words, His love for you is unchanging because He's a God who is unchanging. Can you say amen? Because He's an unchanging God, His love for you, His commitment towards you is unchanging. But the people were fickle. They were going up and down. They, were, they, they did not keep his ways, the Bible says. God declares to his people in verse 6, verse 7, From the days of your father you have turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. But now come back to me, he says, return to me. Can I say this? Whenever we are in trouble, we always turn to God. Isn't it? There is a big difference between the word turning to God and returning to God. The word turn to God is, when I'm in trouble, I look to God and I ask for help. And God in His mercy helps me to take the next step. Maybe a closed door, He opens. Maybe a person that needs to change their mind, they change their mind. Whatever God does, that is turning to Him in times of crisis for help. 
but that doesn't mean that I've given my life back to him the word return means there is no plan B there's only plan A there's nothing else that I rely upon only God I give everything back to him so God says return back to me it's a question of who is actually the master of your life who actually controls your life who has the final say in your life who has the last word in your life two husbands were fighting no two husbands were uh, sharing about their wives fighting with them and they say we always have arguments in our home and one guy says yala I've, I've listened i've listened to give given to my wife so she always has the last word but the other guy said no 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 i never give in i always have the last word really wow tell me tell me what's your last word yes dear <laughs> who has the final say in your life why would god say come back to me and then he says how shall we return when the people ask how do we return god uses the word tithing i want you to pay attention to this why would god say in the context of come back to me he goes and zeroes in on this one word called tithe what is a tithe anyway the tithe as i said earlier it's 10% of our income everything that we have it's a 10% that belongs to god but why would god say this is something that you come back to me with what is the theology behind tithing let me summarize this because I'm, this is not my message today but i need to give you this theology i want you to understand i've already covered a great message on tithing many people around the world have told me that's one of the best messages they've heard and it's available on the internet you can always download it and listen to it but this is one thing i want you to pay attention what is the theology of tithing go with me to leviticus chapter 26 and the last verse in leviticus 26 ends like this leviticus is a book where god was dealing with the children of israel giving them important things about the law their responsibilities as a nation and as he was coming to verse 46 of leviticus 26 he says these are the statutes and rules and laws that the lord made between himself and the people of israel through moses on mount sinai the end 26 almost ends like this is it there's no nothing more to say God has already transacted everything he wants to do but then the bible says lord spoke again even though there was a end god spoke one more chapter he adds chapter 27 what was the theology of the verse 27 chapter 27 let me give you the theology chapter 27 deals with only one word everything belongs to god let me let me go with you a couple of scriptures go with me to verse 24 leviticus 27 and verse 24 the bible says in the year of jubilee the field shall return to him from whom it was bought to whom the land belongs as a possession let me give you a summary year of jubilee is 50 years so if you have been doing some business and your business needed some finance and you you go, went and borrowed money from somebody else and then your business goes bust the the land that you had mortgaged to somebody they would take the land So you don't have your land anymore. Now you go and work for them as a servant or a worker. But the person who gave you money took the land from you as a mortgage. They can only keep that land for 50 years. When the year of jubilee comes, God says, "Take the land, give it back to the guy, cancel his debt, give it back to him." In other words, God was so fair. God says, "I want the people 
Whoever lost whatever they lost, they will get it back. They will be set free. Their debts will be cancelled on the 50th year. 50 years. Are you with me so far? So the year of Jubilee means God says restore it back. Now if you are the guy who gave the money, you would say, I gave him my money. I rightfully own his land. Why should I give him back his land? But you know the reason why you will give it back? Because neither his land nor your land belongs to you. They both belong to who? To God. So what was God saying in chapter 27 of Leviticus? I own everything. You are only a manager. So learn to deal with that stuff that it's mine. I tell you on the 50th year you give it back. Cancel his debt. Give it back. Look at another scripture. Verse 26. But a firstborn of animals, which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord, no man may dedicate. Firstborn of anything in the animal kingdom belongs to God. You can't dedicate it for anything else. Whether it's an ox or the sheep, it is the Lord's. Same thing in verse 30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed or of the land, seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Can you see this phrase repeating again? It is the Lord's. It is the Lord's. Verse 32. Every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff. In other words, when you are when you're putting the sheep back in its uh, fold, and one by one they go and you count. One, two, three, four, and nine. And the tenth one belongs to God. Every tenth belongs to God. God says, it's mine and it shall be holy to the Lord. I want you to pay attention to this. God was not saying to them, you think about it, you bring back my stuff. God says, it's already mine. If it is already mine and you don't bring it back to me, you are stealing from me. Can you see the picture? What was God dealing with it? Tithing is not about just giving. Giving reveals the condition of your heart. Giving reveals who's truly the master of your life. If your finances are playing a major role. Do you know that finances play a major role in our lives? Decide where we live. Decide where we go. Decide what we do. Finances play a major role in our lives. Finances give you, you know, people desire to have more of it. People fear of losing it. People who have it are afraid. People who don't have it are, are wanting it. All these things, money, money, money gives security. It has a sense of, it, it competes with God almost. So God says, what happens with your money matters. Because it's not yours, it's mine, says the Lord. So God was saying to them, it's not about the tithe. It is about allegiance. It is about who owns your life and whose you are. That was the big picture. If they missed that big picture, they would be thinking about, do I give tithe on net or gross? <laughs> Someone went to the pastor and said, Pastor, do I tithe on net income or gross income? And the pastor said, you want blessing on net income or gross income? <laughs> you know? Why are we so caught, caught up about this? You know, can I give you on this topic while I'm here? God is placing, I've, I've met some wonderful business people around the world who have learned this principle called reverse tithing now. Reverse tithing. Listen to this. What is reverse tithing? It's no longer just giving 10 and living on 90. It is giving away 90 and living on 10. Amazing. Many pastors have started to do that. Many business owners have started to do that. And this is 
happening why people are learning to come before God and say God you are the master of my life and that means the most important area in my life is finances if you cannot be Lord of my finances then you are not Lord of any area of my life because finances affect everything it's very important that we pay attention to that there is also another way of calling uh, Ron Sider in his book he wrote about this called graduated tithe what is a graduated tithe? This is something that both pastors and I follow. What is a graduated tithe? We start with a minimum 10% where we, where we offer. It, it, it is the Lord's. Out of obedience to his word, we give that 10%. But from the 90 that we get to keep, haha, we get to keep. Not the right, we get to keep. From the 90 we get to keep, we come before God and we say, Lord, put within our hearts what you want us to do. And God over the years have increased our giving. This is what you call graduate. You graduate from 10 to 11 to 12 to 15 to 20 and you keep going on. And that I follow not only personally for us but also as a church. Last year as a church we gave 22% of our income out into the mission field. Why? Because it's a graduated tie. 10 is good enough. Everybody says just 10. But we go beyond. Why? Because that's the thing. That means we sacrifice. We cut costs in our own lives. We give. That is graduated tithe. So personally, if you want to know how much we give, you can come and talk to us. <laughs> that's not for you to know. But I can guarantee you, it's very close to what the church does. Why? Because that's important. When we come before the Lord, it is to surrender before Him and to say, Lord, you are Lord of my life. While I'm on this topic, this is not planned, but let me give you a bonus. Go with me to Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7 is a great chapter about theology. I want you to listen to this. Theology on giving, Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7 is the largest chapter in the book of Numbers. You know, the book of Numbers is beautiful. Book of Numbers reveals God as faithful, unchanging towards his people. But the book of Numbers reveals people as fickle, unfaithful, always unbelieving, disobeying God, always doubting his goodness. But God yet was faithful to his people. So there is a contrast between the good God and the bad people. The worthy God and the unworthy people. It's a beautiful picture. And if you're studying book of Numbers, let me give you three, three geographical boundaries you need to know that will anchor the whole book. One is Sinai, where the law was given. God reveals himself as the lawgiver. Then it is Kadesh Barnea, a place of decision where God reveals himself as the guide. God says, I'm going to take you into this land. Come with me. But they don't want to go. Then in the other place, it's a place of Moab. These three places, in this place of Moab, it's a place of crossing over. And God was preparing the people to enter into the promised land. God was the promise keeper. It is a theology. But in Numbers chapter 7, it's a beautiful chapter. It's a long chapter. Many people, when they read it, I promise you, they will skip it. You know why? 85 verses. Out of that 85 verses, the same group of verses is repeated 12 times. What is the same group of verses? This is the group of verses. Go with me to Numbers chapter 7, verse 10 and 11. 10 and 11. 10 and 11 is this. Numbers chapter 7, verse 10. It talks about God speaking to the children of Israel and he says, bring all the uh, 12 tribes. The chiefs offered offerings of the dedication of the altar on the day it was anointed. See, God was asking the people, especially the tribal leaders, the chiefs, the captains, 
God says to them, the 12 of them, 12 tribes, 12 of them, he says, one by one, you come and offer the offering before the Lord. So that leaders have to obey God. So the leaders have to offer before God. You know what they offered? Go to verse 12. Go to verse 12. He offered the first one. First leader came on the first day. He was the son of Abinadab in the tribe of Judah. Then what did he offer? Verse 13. Okay, he gave silver, 130 shekels, 70 shekels. And the list goes on up to verse 15 or 16. Then this whole thing, remember this. If I was typing this, I would copy and paste, copy and paste. How many times? 12 times. Same offering, 12 times under different people who gave. Now you and I, we need to ask, why would God go out of his way and write the longest chapter knowing in 2015, you and I, we won't read it because it's too long. I understand. All of them gave the same offering. One line, finish everything. And you just put it one time. Is that right? Economical. And it's, it's easy to read. But God says, no, no, no. Read the whole thing. Everything is repeated again and again. That four or five chunk verses is repeated again and again. How many times? Twelve times. Until the verses is like 85 verses in one chapter. Why would God do that? Can I say humbly why God would do that? You got to understand the theology why. The theology is revealed in the structure, the way the text goes. What is the theology? The theology is God notices our giving. God notices what every one of us give. He's not a God who says, it's okay, I assume they all did it. No, no, no. He says, record it one by one. I want to know because it's not about you, it's me. I would, I, I'm telling you, I record everything that you do. That's why the Bible says in Malachi, he records not only the words that come out, what comes out of our purse? No wonder Jesus was standing in the temple and he notices a widow coming with two mites and he was, she was able to give. So it's not about how much we give, it is how much we keep to ourselves. Why? Because in that, the revelation of who God is. In other words, God says, I notice everything. So when God speaks to us about finances in the book of Malachi, he's addressing this one core issue. It is not about the tithe. It is about the God of the tithe. It is about the God who owns the tithe. It is about the God who owns all of you and the God who owns everything you have and the God who says, it is mine. You bring it back. You return to me and be faithful. Can you say amen? Hey, the amen went down. Say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Why is this so important, Pastor? It addresses the core issue of our heart. It reveals the condition of our heart. Why did the children of Israel, or the sons of Jacob in this case, in the book of Malachi, didn't want to do it? I'll tell you why. There was a bad attitude. There was two bad attitudes that they had. Go with me to verse 13 and 14 and 15. What did they say? The Bible says God records these words, and God says these are the things that the children of Israel say. What did they say? It is vain to serve God. Next verse. It is vain to serve God. Say it, vain. What does vain means? Worthless. In other words, all these guys were thinking, do you know, you know, I've heard people over the years say a couple of these things. These are um, people who don't fear God, live in carnal flesh. They have this mindset of calculation before God. Calculated. You know, 10% is a lot of money. I've met millionaires. 
In fact, one guy, when I was very young, when I was in Singapore, he used to be the producer of uh, some Hong Kong movies. And, uh, and in, in conversation, we started to talk, and he was saying to me, he says, um, I earn a lot. And he showed me a couple of his checks that he was going to bank that, that week. And he says, this is how it comes every week. Just royalties that keep rolling in. Then my immediate question to him is, so you must be a great tither. Do you tithe? He says, if I tithe, the pastor doesn't need faith. <laughs> if I tithe, the pastor wouldn't need faith. I said, wow. <laughs> so you tithe or don't tithe, so that you can monitor the faith level of your pastor. I didn't realize that God gave the in charge of pastor's faith into your hands. <laughs> He's a good friend, so we had a good conversation. Over the years, I've heard many nonsense like that. Why? Wrong theology. No understanding of what it is. It is not the amount, people. Pastor, I can't tithe i can't afford to tithe why because i only live on very small income so 10 percent to me is a lot of money can i humbly say this you can not afford not to tithe why in honoring god you see the blessing of the lord as he promised but the moment you withhold it is not about the money it is not about the money money It is always about the theology. Who is God in my life? Who is my master in life? Do I obey him only when the dollar sign increases? No. I obey him at all times. He is my God. He is my Lord. I learned it the hard way. When I landed in this country, I had absolutely no income and we, we did not have anything to, to truly say this is ours and whatnot. We lived like that for a while. And at that time, because I was not employed by any church, I lived on whatever God provided. So we lived on that. But we were faithful in our giving. And there was one time, there was one time, I remember there was a dry season where nothing happened in that week or two. And suddenly a, a blessing came my way. $200 was in my hand. And out of that 220 belonged to the Lord. But that 20 at that moment in my life seemed huge. You got to understand, I'm a guy who have always lived by giving. I emptied everything in Singapore when the Lord said empty. I only had 100. I emptied. I only had 80 in my pocket and I emptied it. And I walked away without anything into an unknown country. No friends, nothing. But the Lord provided. And I've seen the hand of God. But after getting married, after having some sort of responsibility I have this 220 became a huge thing until one day until one day I was struggling I didn't I didn't obey God he's prompted I didn't obey I come out of Cherrybrook where we were living in one of the road corners where we come to Castle Hill there is this road corner what's corner is that Old Northern Road meets a road that goes to Cherrybrook now they have lights there Back in those days, they didn't have lights, the street light, um, sorry, the traffic light. 
And as a result, I was just there, and I think we were in a place where we were discussing. No, we never fight. We only have intense fellowship. <laughs> so we were just fellowshipping together, animated, intense fellowship. That's how Bollywood people do. By the way, everybody in Bollywood does that. Okay, it's like anything we do, it's always a drama. All right. So I take it, and we were doing this. All I did was just touch my car. Just touched a very old Land Cruiser, beaten down four-wheel drive. Just touched the back of it. That's all it did. The guy didn't even notice I touched it. He just sped. You know, he could just waiting for a while, and then boom, he left. And uh, I thought nothing happened, but the, there was a dent. The carburetor has to be fixed. I'm like, this is serious stuff. So I went. And the panel beater said, "It's going to cost you six hundred dollars." I almost die. <laughs> I asked myself, "Why?" I said, "Lord, every money you give me is yours, Lord. Why? Why like this?" He said, "Well, <laughs> now you know. Every money I give you is mine, right?" <laughs> I said, "Yes." I learned. What cost me six hundred? It didn't cost me six hundred. By the grace of God, someone pointed to me somewhere in Smithfield. So I went to this guy in Smithfield or somewhere in Prospect Highway, and he looked at it and goes, "I can do it for hundred and fifty." I said, "Hallelujah! That's all I'm having in my hand." <laughs> so in the end, we did fix it. But what I I learned a lesson. I said, even in a simple thing, I cannot afford not to. Am I saying that God is a mini God who will come and vacuum if you don't? No. I have a special relationship with him. He does because I'm a son. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, God disciplines His sons. But your theology may be He doesn't. But the reality is He does because He loves you. And here the Bible says He comes and He says, "Come back to me, return to me." So finances was one of the most important thing. You bring everything back, and they said it is vain. Why would somebody say it is vain to serve God? Why? I tell you why, because they expected something in return. Have you ever heard even preachers preach, "Give to the Lord, and God will give back to you more"? Yeah. So what we do on Sunday mornings is we want to give. We want to give as much as we can. Why? Because this is the best investment possible. <laughs> Because if I put it in the bank, it's only two percent. If I put it in real estate, it's over the years maybe ten. But this one, I give ten, I get back hundred. Good deal, word. <laughs> Smart business move. But the reality is, is that why we give? No. That's why these people said it is vain to serve God. Why it is vain to serve God? Because they said, I can't get enough return here. I have given, but nothing has come my way. See, God does promise for you to give, and when you give, God in His grace says, "I will bless you. I will reward you. I will rebuke the devourer. Your wine will not fail. Your fruit will remain, and you will be blessed. Everybody will call you a blessed land, delightful land." But yet, the Bible says, people want immediate result. The Bible never says, "God, when you give X, God will give you back Y within this time frame." It doesn't say that in the Bible. So people in the imagination they want a God who bless them immediately. Like if I give today, I walk out tomorrow. I have to have it in my hand. Like someone said to me one time, Pastor, I've given by faith, but I haven't seen the result return yet. 
I given by faith, but I haven't seen the return yet. What do you mean by you haven't seen the return yet? Oh, I've sold, but now I'm waiting for God to pay back. Wow. Wow. That's not the attitude we should have. It is vain to serve God. And then they come to the conclusion, what profit does it make if I keep the charge? Why? Because the guy who doesn't do any of these things, he is prospering. Look at where his kids go to school. Look at where he buys the property. Look at where he's doing investment. Look at what kind of car he's driving. He doesn't even tithe. Look at what he's doing. He doesn't even go to church. Look at what he's doing. Look at what he's doing. Look at what he's doing. Stop looking it around. Because the reality is you worship God because of who he is, not because of what he promised he will do for you. Are you with me? Whether he does it or doesn't do it, it is his prerogative. You obey. Why? Because we are servants. He is the master. We are subjects. He is the king. He is the father. We are children. But God does promise this, that when you do truly trust me and you do obey what I say, I will take care of you. That you will not lack in anything. That I'll be the shepherd and your life will not lack in any blessing. That if you do so, sometimes I will bless you. Where you cannot contain it. Can you say amen? But that should not be the motivation why we do what we do. So finally, when it comes to this, when the people were comparing like this unnecessarily, they don't understand this. That's why in this church, I teach you one thing. I want you to pay attention to this. Write this down in your notes. The theology of efficacy. What is efficacy? Efficacy is this. God knows how to do the right thing at the right time, in the right way, with the right motive, to produce the right result. God knows what to do the, in the right way, in the right timing, at the right, right thing to do to produce the right result. God knows it. And God is always efficacious in His way. Efficacious in His way. One of the key things we got to learn in our lives. So don't have a temporal perspective. Have an efficacious perspective where you are able to see that my God is still God. No matter what happens in my life, I just obey Him and He is a God who rewards Hallelujah. That's a thrilling life. That's a thrilling life. I told you how I struggle with just 200. But God has over the years have learned to show how generous he is in my life. He has blessed me. And everything I have, I know it's his. And I tell my children all the time, everything we have and everything we get to enjoy, it's his. Is his and as a result of that we live like this and God says to them return to me so in closing can I just say this humbly go with me one more time to verse 18 with that I finish in verse 18 once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve I want to highlight this one point. We as people of God, we are like the weeds in the garden, weeds in the field. The seeds have been sown, weeds are growing. While the Lord has planted wheat, the enemy has also planted what? Tares, the Bible says. And the tares and the wheat, they look like the same as they are growing up. 
but the tares will not have any fruit whereas the wheat will have fruit when the harvest time comes so the people when they saw it why is the tares taking up room in our field we should pluck it out you know what god says don't touch it leave it leave it leave it why because our time will come on the day i will so show the distinction i'll show the distinction between the wheat the wheat will be collected and then the tares will be collected and the tares will be burnt off the wheat will be produced for people i want you to listen to this carefully god leaves everything right now like that that's why you have to have discernment to know where god is really working and where god is where where there's a form of god but no substance but if you're captivated by the glamour and the glitz and the celebrity syndrome and the lights and the f- action and the huge following you will fall in love with the tares not the wheat i want you to pay attention to this but you got to learn to discern and and not not be a copy of the tear be the original wheat and the time will come and the time will come god says i will separate it the one who fears me and the one who does not and that time is on that day and a day is coming when god will make that happen so you and i we need to live in light of that day and we rewire our life So three things how do i return back to god three things quickly write down three things how i return my life back to god how do i return to this god who owns my life who owns everything that i have three things number 1 fear god only fear god only in this church we always teach this whether it's in bible school or pulpit i always teach you one thing live for the approval of god not for the applause of men fear god only not man doesn't matter you know the world boasts about the associations they keep now the world celebrates the associations we have but the only true association you need to have is with your savior with him he is your lord he is your master fear him alone when you fear him alone you will learn to steward you will learn to guard your life that's what the bible says those who fear me in that one verse twice it repeats those who fear me those who fear me in other words god says those who fear me they will live with a reverence in their heart they will live with a honor in their life they will not be the ones who withheld from god they will be the one who will be liberal towards god number 2 how do i return to god number 1 with fear god only number 2 obey god wholeheartedly no reservations Maybe in your life as you come before the Lord you are saying Lord I do want to obey you but I'm finding it difficult. But if you keep saying that same line over the last many years then something is seriously wrong in your walk. You got to come before the Lord and be authentic enough to say Lord I'm struggling in these areas deal with these areas and deal with it one by one until God can come to that place where you can say this doesn't have a hold in my life anymore. lay it down obey learn to obey god wholeheartedly wholeheartedly number 3 how do i return back to god you fear god only you return you obey god wholeheartedly thirdly you steward for god faithfully you steward for god faithfully what is that you steward your time your talent your treasures your territories before you buy that car know this that car is for god's use not yours 
A car is a vehicle that takes you from point A to point B. But it's your desire to arrive there in style. So because you have a desire to arrive there in style, because you want to impress other people, you pay a lot of money for a vehicle that takes you from point A to point B. Are you with me? But who are you trying to impress? Wow, that kind of car. Applause of men. But is it approved of God? That's my question. So the, one of the key things is if you know stewardship, you come before the Lord and you say, Lord, you have given me money to spend for what? You have entrusted to me the riches of this world for what purpose? Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, the Bible says. Your life doesn't naturally become better just because you have better things to enjoy in life. At the end of the day, it is a condition of the heart. If your condition of your heart is secure, you can live a simple life. But if your condition of your heart needs all these extra things to make you feel better, of course. And then you put everything on Facebook so others will know. You know, this one particular pastor, it's a joke by the way, don't go and quote me. A particular pastor on an Easter Sunday morning decided he doesn't want to go to church. So what did he do? He ended up in golf course. And he was getting ready to make the swing. And the Lord and the angel next to him was having a conversation. The angel said, Lord, can you see this mongrel, what he's doing? He skipped serving you and he's out there playing golf. He told the assistant pastor, you preach, I can't, you know, I'm very, t- I'm sick. And he's playing, wow. And the Lord says, don't worry, let him, let him have time, let him enjoy. So the Lord made a special favor for him. The guy did a swing, tee off. Straight away the ball flew all the way into the hole. Hole in one. He was like, angel looked at the Lord and says, why would you do that to him? Why would you show him such incredible favor? He said, don't worry, who is he going to go tell? I think that was before the invention of Facebook. <laughs> nah, kidding. Who are you going to tell? Why are we so living in terms of trying to impress others? The only one who needs to be impressed is the Lord. And the Lord says, everything you have is mine, including your life. So your time, your talent, your territories, and your treasures, they all are mine. No wonder God says to them, return to me. Bring the full tithes back into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So this morning as we go from here, can I humbly say this? What we need to learn in our lives is to fear God only and to obey Him wholeheartedly and to steward everything He has given to us for Him faithfully. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to our message. We pray that God's word spoke to your heart and gave you an inspiration and encouragement. If you are truly blessed by this, would you take a moment to leave a comment or give us a rating on the Apple podcast service? Not only that, take an opportunity to share this on social media platforms so others who are in similar situations may be encouraged with the word of God. 
We love you. If you want to connect with our church, go to connect.idmc.com.au and share with us where you're from, what you're doing, so that we can keep you in our prayers before the Lord. God bless you. 